Rock and Roll's Greatest Failure. Call Baby That's Really Me by John Otway. Read by John Otway. Call Baby That's Really Me. Chapter 33 Otway at this point became disillusioned and desperate and made a series of decisions that were a little short of catastrophic. I'm going to retire from music, he said. I'm going to become an actor and a TV star. He got Neil Smith to book his retirement tour and told the world that he would gig and headbutt no more. It was not the wisest thing to do. Gigs had been John's only regular source of income over the years. If I give them up, John said, then it will force me to do something else. As indeed it did. Otway noticed that the small flat he and Patrice had bought had doubled in value in the three years that they had been there. They had a mortgage of £27,000 and the flat was now worth £60,000. The realisation that more could be made from property than headbutts was not slow in coming. While I'm working on my acting career, I'll be a property developer, thought Otway. The plan was simple. Sell the flat they had, pay off most of the pressing debts of Otway's debts, keeping a large sum of money to keep them going for a year or so, and then get another 90% mortgage on a property they could develop. Otway was really enthusiastic about this property developing idea, remembers Chris Franz. He came around my office saying, Look, mate, I've just made 30 grand in three years. I must admit to being quite impressed with that. And that's how I got sucked into it. Chris was thinking about moving to London as his record company, Music of Life, specialising in the new rap and hip-hop music, was just taking off. John suggested that Chris, his girlfriend Karen, Patrice and himself should buy a large flat that they could convert into two smaller ones. That would make us 30 grand each in a year, John explained carefully to Chris, who saw no reason why this would not work. Within three days, Otway had put his flat on the market, found a buyer and discovered their new convertible property. There was a gap of a few weeks between selling Clifton Court and buying and moving into the new place. We need a holiday anyway, said John, who felt that being homeless for a few weeks was as good a reason as any for taking one. The Otways went to Crete. Most people regard going to Greece as a cheap holiday. And maybe it would have been if John had not taken the nest egg to last a year or so with them. But it was a bloody good holiday, remembers John. So depleted were the funds that on arrival back at Victoria Station, Yachtways had to get a cab round to Morris Bacon's and drag him out of bed so he could both pay the cab and lend them enough money to get home. I'm glad I don't manage you anymore, said Morris, as he gave Otway another tenor he would never see again. Otway's change of career into being a full-time professional actor lasted three months. John came round my house one day, says Paul Bradley, and asked me to get another comedy thing together with him. Verbal Diary had worked well, and so I thought, why not? 
Besides, he was saying that there would be something like 15 shows at £400 a time over a three-week period, and we'd split the money. John and Paul spent a couple of weeks writing and rehearsing the show, and in the end they performed it a grand total of three times, and for nothing like the money John had promised. Life in the convertible was not going smoothly either. As Otway was getting more and more into a mess, Chris Francis' business was doing better and better. It's all like you wanting to be a property developer, Chris said one day. But how on earth are you going to pay the builders? John had no option. Three months after giving up music, he had to come out of retirement. Well, I'm going to come out of retirement with a bang, said Otway. The bang that Otway had in mind was yet another reunion with Willie Barrett. At least I know that will make a fortune, he said. We'll do an album, a single and a tour. Willie was worried, but said, You pay the studio bills and guarantee the money on the tour, and I'll do it. John begged and borrowed the £1,000 for some studio time, and he and Willie went into Pace Studios in Milton Keynes to start the new LP. At the same time, he hired a secretary to do the publicity for him, ordered 5,000 posters, and hired top photographer John Bream to take pictures of the reunion. There was, of course, the question of material. Even though it had been five years since his last LP, John had hardly written a thing. He searched through all the unrecorded material he had, discovering only a wealth of romantic songs. Willie had often jokingly referred to his partnership with Otway as the Wimp and the Wild, and suggested that they could give the LP this title. If we did that, he said, we could put all that awful wet stuff you've got on one side and call it the Wimp side, and any good material we've got can go on the Wild side. The Wimp and the Wild, with Side Wimp and Side Wild, seemed like a good idea. One of John's songs, Losing, started with the lines... I used to think losing was coming in last. No, I know it's not. Losing is not being able to find something you know you've got. This song was regarded as so wet by Wild Willie that he insisted that it should be the title song for one side, be renamed and called simply The Wimp. And then Willie collaborated with John to write a song called The Wild to get the other side going. Cheryl Farthing, the girl John had employed to do the publicity, was having problems on two fronts. One, John was having difficulty paying her wages and was even borrowing the odd fiver off her. And two, the mass media did not seem to be very interested in the reunion of the decade. Neil Smith, the agent, was encountering similar difficulties with comments like Good God, Neil, you stung us for a fortune for his retirement gig and now you want to sting us for the reunion. About three-quarters of the way through the recording of the album, there came an awful combination of events. A. John had run out of money, so he couldn't record any more. B. Sheryl had left his employment. And C. Neil delivered the list of bookings he could get for the Wimp and the Wild tour. You don't get any better, said Willie as he packed up his instruments in the studio. And yet again, the duo split up. 
There was one track on Side Wild of the unfinished album called The Last of the Mohicans. It was quite catchy and captured the rough punky humour that had served the duo so well ten years before. It also showed that, even in adversity, Otway was still capable of humour. The last time I saw Judy, she was dancing with the slug, the lead singer from a punk band called Warm It Tastes So Good. She's the last of the Mohicans, the last of the Mohicans, the last of the reminders of the songs of yesterday. Well, at least we've got a hit out of this little venture, John told Chris. That'll pay for the builders. Chris did not agree. And neither did WEA when they heard it. We are quite happy for John to approach other companies with this product, they said. He can regard himself as being free from any contractual obligations. The only record company that did think Mohicans was worth a shot was VM Records, a company based in a small village several miles out of Oxford. However, their budget was so limited that they could only issue it in a brown paper bag, as opposed to a proper cover. On the failure of yet another single, John announced the occupants of the convertible flat that it is now essential that we commence building work as speedily as possible in order to capitalise on the property development and make some money. Chris was told that he would have to lend John his share of the cost of the building expenses to convert their masonette. It's OK, John said, as soon as we've converted this place, I'll get another mortgage. We're making such a mint out of this developing that a few grand either way won't make much of a difference. And so the builders moved into the masonette and proceeded to demolish it. John went back to gigging and the venues that were prepared to take Otway without Barrett were salvaged from the Wimp and the Wild tour. During John's retirement, Robin, his old guitarist, had joined a band with a proper recording deal. So John teamed up with the guitarist he knew from the Warrington pub, Ronnie Carroll. Ronnie had worked with many bands, including Genesis and Joe Brown. Why he should want to work with Otway is a mystery. It's not much of a mystery, says Ronnie. I was broke and Genesis didn't need a guitarist at the time. Another person John asked to join the tour was Peter Bullock, a roadie he had used a couple of times when Patrice was too tired to keep up with the heavy gigging schedule. Peter came in pretty handy, said John. Patrice had liked my retirement as it meant she did not have to drive and pack gear continually and she refused to go back to it. By Christmas, disaster struck with a severity that completely validates the theory that just when you think things can't get any worse, they invariably do. It started a few days after the builders had more or less finished Chris and Karen's flat and turned the part of the Maisonette was to be the Otway's home into a building site. When they had bought the place, John had insisted that he and Patrice should have the top floor. That way we can put a dormer window on the roof and do a loft conversion and have one more room than Chris, he said. And Keith and Paul, the builders, to his instructions, wasted no time in making huge holes in the roof and ceiling and hoisting up a huge staircase to the top floor of the building. The property that the foursome had purchased was at one time a council house, and a council tenant still lived on the ground floor. The tenant had complained to the council about the noise and inconvenience of the work being carried out above his home. 
What work? asked the council, and sent an official around to investigate. What on earth? he exploded as he walked up the stairs and saw once what had been a luxury masonette and was now an almost completed one-bedroom flat with an adjacent building site. What on earth have you done? he kept muttering as he rushed out of the building, only to return five minutes with a legal document that, amongst other things, said that the building work must stop with immediate effect. I don't understand, said John, both bemused and close to tears. Well, speak to our lawyers, the official replied. When Otway did speak to the lawyers, it was like a nightmare. You haven't read your lease, have you? they said. Under the terms of the lease that our developers had purchased, it quite fundamentally stated that under no circumstances would the council allow the property to be developed. Furthermore, the loft and the roof space with the gaping hole did not even belong to them. I don't know what we're going to do about this, the council said. We certainly can't do any more building work until it's sorted out. And that could take years. Mm -hmm.